Welcome to Scaling Alberta Businesses, Innovate MRU's podcast that focuses on the startup and scale-up stories of Alberta-born companies. I'm Ray DePaul, the Director of the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Mount Royal University. On this episode, I continue my conversation with James Bocher, the CEO of Fiasco Gelato. After hearing about the resilience needed to be an entrepreneur in the last episode, we now dig into the scaling story of this Alberta-born startup. So I have a couple of cool data points. So one would be the Lawrence Fink, the BlackRock mm-hmm. um, letter to, yes. I guess they're the, the biggest private equity? Or, yes. Um, to see you all talking about money. purpose. <laughs> and yeah, they have all of the money. <laughs> yeah. And talking about the <laughs> link between purpose and profit, um, which which gives you hope that that the sense that you know business for, for social good is there. But then just last week, literally I'm in Toronto and there's this young entrepreneur um, who's in the popsicle business who knows you, mm-hmm. um, a young woman. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, yeah, they're doing amazing things, but I want to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this is a maybe 25 year old. Mm. And, and that makes you go, okay, so we're not there um, because right. you'd think if any generation, it would be that generation. And um, so what what gives you – maybe you don't have hope. Maybe it's just you have your sandbox, and you, but do you think this is a movement, a trend? Uh... Oh, man. The world becomes very dark if you do not believe that it is inherently good. I think that there are a lot of misaligned objectives where people think that they need to have it all. And when I say have it all, I'm not saying like freedom, wealth, family, health, like all that kind of stuff. Um, What I'm saying is when I look at how we treat our people, we have some amazing practices within nurturing and caring for the people that that we steward. When I look at the quality of life I have, when I look at what we get to do every day, it it still leaves so much room to, to be actively inspiring or influencing or enriching the community. And that's where I think when we talk about the letter to all CEOs, if you haven't read it, just Google it. It's it's very important to read. And I'm sure that guy's salary is just so crazy. And so <laughs> it's good that, that the message is coming from there to show that it is possible to have it all. We have to realize that through all of this, it's easier for us to say, we can, we can provide enough for all. We can be a part of our community. Like, it, it's crazy when a business does not participate in their own community. To me, it's like they are literally the ones that, that started you. It's like your family of business. And for any Calgary business, maybe this is a bit of a, a call out, but if you're not actively participating in enriching the Calgary community, like, you got to go. The reality is, is that you only exist you only exist because that community was willing to give you license, give you permission to exist. I mean, I make frozen treats in the frozen tundra. I don't deserve to exist, but the only reason I do is because even when it's freezing out, people still still support us. So for the young entrepreneur that you have referenced, yeah. um, I, would, I would challenge, and I know it, it gets mixed up in the the profit model and and the uh, different advisory that comes down and and so on and so forth. But the reason Fiasco is more expensive than everyone else on the shelf is so that I have enough room 
to pay our people well, create a quality product, and be an active builder of community. And at the end of the day, I'll tell you our EBITDA or profit is very small. But it doesn't have to be big. Mm-hmm. Because even when we're going through the tough times or there's a recession or buying habits are down, we're still here. And that's truly how you build a 100-year company. It's not about trying to make it all at once and take it off the table. It's about leaving enough on the table that you can continue to exist. And does that put you on a path? There's a lot of people that choose uh, entrepreneurship as a path to acquisition. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I speak to a lot of people that they're literally, they're thinking of an idea and then mm-hmm. they say, um, and I'd like to flip this in a few years. Does this notion of, of taking you know, a long game, not thinking about acquisition, not thinking about growth at all costs, is that, is that inherent in this? Is this... I, I think it would be bad business practice to not acknowledge that there is a possibility that what we do will be attractive to someone else. It should not drive decision-making. It should not drive the integrity of the organization I think that, like you said, I hear it a lot too, where it's like, here's my idea. I haven't even started, but it will be bought in X amount of years. Yep. And it's like, whoa, 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 like <laughs> calm down. Um, <laughs> we, we often look at uh, acquisition right now. The, our, I don't want to, we don't really refer to our competition as competition. We learn from them. We acknowledge what they're doing. Uh, but Halo Top just got acquired. They almost got acquired for, this is crazy and it's a bit speculative, but for $2 billion by Unilever two years ago. And ironically, Unilever walked away from the deal. And the rumor was is that they didn't buy it because the product was always co-manufactured. So it was a bit of smoke mm-hmm. and mirrors, right? I talk about this a lot with Fiasco because we make our own product. But the reality was this company had sexy branding. They were, they were influencer marketed to the nines. And uh, I think Unilever, if I, if I could call it, they were sitting in a meeting one day and they said, we're actually trying to change the way business is done. I have a lot of respect for Unilever. They are one of the biggest CPG brands, and they look at B Corp's certification seriously. Mm. They allow Ben and Jerry's still to call out the president. Like, like that is that is cool. Yeah. You know, like that to me is a testament to it's bigger than them. So, anyways, Halo Top then is still on the market, trying to be sold. They get acquired undisclosed amount to Bluebell. Who are just trying to be the largest ice cream manufacturer in the US or seller. And when we look at that internally, we're like, okay, like Halo Top took a bit of market share from us. Their product really wasn't great, but it had a lot of brand presence. But like the guy that started it, he's now doing nothing and he never really made anything. So what is he, you know? Right. And I think for us, the Rules of engagement, we've all agreed, and this is like uh, how I lead my team. So whenever we talk about big ideas like this, not only to teach these young folks that are going to maybe be with me for a long time or go on to do their own thing, um, we table it and have a discussion. It's not like I sit in a room and decide by myself. And uh, the rules of engagement for any consideration for acquisition will will be the the Ben, Ben & Jerry's Bible. If we are acquired, it's by a company that believes in what we believe. They will allow us to operate the way we want to operate. And the, the only reason we would consider it is access to market and capital without giving it all up. So Alana did it real well at Kicking Horse. She, um, she did a small play with Swander Pace Capital Company. And uh, 
was able to reap the rewards a little bit, take some cash off the table. And then her next deal with Lavazza, $220 million. Oh, yeah. Just like, <laughs> like I literally was selling Kicking Horse when it was three blends. And Alana, she's very thrifty. I love her to death. But she literally would not give us sample bags. We had to give samples to retailers in Ziploc bags. That's like me telling my sales team, here's a, a gelato scoop. Like, you, you, like, literally scoop it into their hand. And we're not giving them a pint. <laughs> But, um, but the reality was is that all of those moves she made, again, speculative a bit, to me stood for what she stood for. And I remember the early days, we had a conventional coffee and organic and a fair trade. And she said from the outset, we will be all fair trade one day. And they are all fair trade. Yep. And through that process of doing the right thing in their category, in their community, they got acquired by Lavazza for $220 million. So when you talk about, <laughs> you know, people profit yeah like it, it doesn't have to be one or the other so we talked a bit about in there about market expansion so are, are you sorry for not knowing this are you in the u.s right now or no, no. so you're across canada yeah give us a sense of where you are yeah uh we we took a leap into ontario last year and um it's been awesome uh, the West has been the West is one. You know, we have we have some of our most loyal fans in BC and uh, in Vancouver. You know, there's a very strong values alignment there. Uh, as we move across the prairies, um, we get into a bit of a cost conversation sometimes, but uh, we still have a lot of fans in the prairies. And uh, Ontario is an interesting one. They either love you or they don't. It's you know, Toronto is a, like a different country. And people have really bought into what we stand for, so it's good. We're we're all the way to to the Maritimes. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Nice. My mom lives in Ormucto, New Brunswick, and she can go to the local store and pick up Fiasco, which is like oh, pretty surreal. Yep. She'll send me a text if they're out of stock. Like I can deliver <laughs> it there. Um, but um, but it's it's a treat. And all up Vancouver Island, we get some funny photos. One guy was exporting. I think his deal was he would drive to sort of a Fort Mac area, pick up some cases, throw them in a Yeti, and then drive back up and we were available in the Yukon. Wow. Like like wow. so crazy. <laughs> and it was like $18 a pint because the guy had to make up <laughs> his margin somewhere. But uh, so we're in they're, three. Th they're thirsty for cold trips Oh, I know, Yukon, right? I <laughs> <laughs> That's um, Yeah, 3,000 retailers now. So we call them doors, but 3,000 retailers across Canada. Um, we've got some amazing partnerships. We work with Jugo Juice, so if you have one of their smoothies, we did a no-sugar-added frozen yogurt for them. Nice. Um, we did an amazing partnership with Moxie's this year, uh, another great Calgary company, and uh, so we're across the country in their restaurants, working on a few others. But it's funny you brought up the U.S. because it's uh, a really hot conversation for us right now. And to not spill the beans too much, um, and this is maybe where uh, the podcast gets a, a little more listen. We unfortunately had a misstep with our trademarks. Uh, had all the marks in 06 for Canada, US, Mexico. A company came along in 07, 08, uh, decided they either wouldn't Google the name or Googled it. Maybe binged it at the time, asked Jeeves maybe. <laughs> they asked Jeeves uh, and they they maybe came across and said, we're, we're in Portland, Maine, doesn't matter. So they started a company called Gelato Fiasco. And uh, we kind of coexisted in our own countries for a while. And and sure enough, uh, we collided in, in 2012. Um, they brought on some investment money. One of the guys was a lawyer. He was obviously mm -hmm. not stoked they didn't have the trademark. They challenged us on it. And I was I was too young at the time and, and 
uneducated to know the consequence of not fighting for it. So they kind of all rested with with the original founder and and, um, his advisory was kind of let it go or it's going to get expenses. So we gave up the mark in the U.S. And Gelato Fiasco is um, still going. Um, they've made some waves, and and we're ready to enter the U.S. And so we're we're at a bit of a crossroads on you know do we create a new brand for our entry, uh, most likely into the Pacific Northwest, and uh, you know similar fans to to our West uh, success here, or do we you know play Yahtzee and put all the dice back in the can and call it something new and start a new revolution that. We have the opportunity to enrich people's lives globally because the market down there for us, simple math is it's 10x. Brands like us will see the success like the Patagonias or the Chobanis uh, or the Methods or the Kinds. And again, it would be ignorant to not seize the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do great things in that market. There's a couple of really good players down there, but the reality is, is like I said about Halo Top, most of it isn't made by those companies. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how that works. I'm 36. I got lots of lots of room to move and, and time to play. But, um, you know, we're hoping that uh, if we do to decide to, to really sort of change the name that the six letters that currently hang on our sign outside the store will not define us. And the ethos and the the mantra and what we stand for will reign. And that certainly with hindsight, you'd love to change that decision. But I mean, entrepreneurs face those choices constantly. Absolutely. And I can't say I wouldn't have advised the same thing. It's right. like you probably didn't have the, the, the cash and the wherewithal to fight it at the time. And right. it sounds like a pipe dream <laughs> that you're going to go to the U.S. Or, or that we'll even be in grocery. At that time, exactly. we were in maybe 15 restaurants. Yeah. So it is what it is. Outside of brand? Is mm-hmm. there other challenges of going to the U.S.? Not really. The product is pretty well well designed. Um, we feel that we understand what fans down there would want. We get a lot of requests, to be honest. Um, I think the exciting part about it is, again, changing the the dynamic of a category. When we came into this category, you know, you had two major players, Ben and & Jerry's and haagen both make great products. And you had some small guys that were kind of fighting for, you know, whatever was left. I don't know. I would like to think that in the U.S., all of the sales and marketing that sometimes sort of grab our attention, they're here for a while, but they're not here forever. Like I said, we want to be the Patagonia of the grocery store, never mind just the frozen aisle. And um, the way we handle our community impact, the way that we handle our level of service, the way that we, you know, we have it on the wall as you walk into production, quality means doing it right when no one's is looking. Those are all the pieces that allow us, I believe, to really get the right customer and fan in the U.S. And, you know, it's not just isolated to, to the U.S. It's it's a, a really compelling opportunity, but we're getting requests from, from across the pond and, mm. and uh, working on, you know, what that export model looks like. But we don't need to rush it. That's the other piece is, is I don't know that this is like a, a futile game. There is an acknowledgement that... Uh, with Amazon and all the wondrous things they've done to this world and people literally going into grocery stores less, um, that we have to sort of rethink the strategy. It's less about how do we grab them on shelf. People have made most buying decisions either before they've got to the store or they're doing it through an app. Yep. So a bit of forward thinking, a lot of let's try it and see. Mm. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's so fun. Like I really... <laughs> I really enjoy the challenge of like rethinking 
the way things have been done. And is that, I mean, the incumbents of Ben and Jerry's and haagen yeah. that again, most people that had a plan would go, ah, don't bother, <laughs> right? So my world, the yeah. tech world, is like, you're going to compete against Google, are you? Well, yeah. good luck with that. Yeah. What did you see that they didn't? Or what? what is your lens that they don't have or aren't able to have given their size? It's probably the fault of most large companies, but they sort of forget where they've come from. And uh, it's a big part of why we care as much as we do, because we understand that, you know, whether it was our first fan or it's our millionth fan of the brand, we've we've got to treat them like they literally, and this is the truth, like they give us the opportunity to do our jobs every day. And we have a, a very famous manifesto on, on the wallet fiasco from Seth Godin. And one of the things is speak to everyone like they're your mother, your sister, the founder, so on and so forth. And we really take that to heart because even when somebody's upset that, I don't know, there, there's a funny one, somebody had mango pineapple and they're like, this is terrible. I don't like mangoes. And I'm like, well, then why'd you buy mango? <laughs> um, but we still, you know, we still are like, well, how can we, you know, how can we help make this right? And, you know, my team sometimes worries that people are going to take advantage of it or exploit it. But I think that uh, to be pointed on the Ben and Jerry's haagen conversation, they're great. They're always going to maintain the market share. There's loyalists there. But like everything, and, you know, this hopefully doesn't happen to us, but it's an acknowledgement that it may one day. People are kind of looking for what's what's new, what's exciting, what's constantly improving is a big one for us. What's looking at, you know, not like how do we make the next caramel cone explosion, but how do we come up with something like dairy-free peanut butter chocolate that like satisfies every person, unless you're allergic to peanuts, but yeah, yeah. you get the point. Um, and then and then like this, this one is, is actually really fun. Ben and Jerry's, they were one of the, the founders or the forefathers of B Corp certification. Yeah. They were one of the first 10. And we always admired that they cared so much about supply chain and all their business practices. And as we got our certification, you know, their scores in the hundreds, we're at 86, we're just getting going. But we spent the next two years really focusing in on improvement. So whether it was our sustainability or, or uh, workplace practices or employee engagement. Um, and we ended up getting to our score being 111 this year, prime number, which is cool too. <laughs> and uh, Ben and Jerry's is 110. And I sent their CEO a letter and I just said, thank you for inspiring us. It wasn't like, we're better gotcha. than you. Yeah. Like it felt pretty good, but <laughs> but the reality was yeah. is that it, it was like, he wrote me back and he nice. said, congratulations. Like, you know, this is, this is huge. And, and to even get a reply slash be acknowledged or them to, you know, acknowledge that that is a, also part of their ethos allows us to have a, a more collaborative conversation rather than like a fighting in the aisle kind of thing. So it's it's sometimes easy to build a business that's local. You build a community, you mm -hmm. become famous inside this community. Yeah. And then how do you make that translate in Toronto? Right. Which I don't know if you've read. We don't really get along with them apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the area, but um, so how did you translate your brand values? Because we all know your brand is more than the name yeah. and the if it was, you're in trouble going south. So yeah. how'd you translate that? How did you build that? Well, we still have, I'll tell you, we, we we haven't even really made a drop in the bucket in doing that. I would say adoption of our product comes from a few things. A, it's sexy on the shelf. People look at it, they're like, what is that? Can I, can I get some? And then they start to do their own discovery a little bit and depending on what's important to them. So if it's 
quality ingredients, if it's, you know, we, we've sort of changed the conversation to made in Canada. Um, so instead of like mm. Toronto doesn't like Calgary, it's like it's a Canadian brand. Um, it's worse than that. Toronto doesn't think of Calgary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not that they don't Where like it. Calgary it doesn't again? even think of it. So, but we, we still have a lot of work to do. And I think this is where um, social media becomes a tool for, as a force for good. You know, I, undeniably, I, I kind of hate social media. I think that uh, on a personal level, it's, it's pretty detrimental. I think that all the stuff we deal with, with bullying and schools yep. and all that, it's, it's quite a tragedy. However, it becomes a, a significant utility for brands. And we hone in on some important parts of that, which is the authenticity of the brand. So if you message us on social media, you get an honest human reply very quickly that, you know, where can I get it in Ormukdo? And we're like, hey, James's mom shops at this spot. So the more that we have an opportunity to have eyes and ears on the brand, we did a pop-up there this summer, and the focus of it was let people try the product. All of our fans that currently live there now could be like, oh, my God, fiasco's in Toronto. But we were very clear in our messaging like about B Corp certification and education on that and really attentive to, you know, you only, again, you only get one at bat. And so, mm -hmm. like, make sure you hit it. Still tons of work to be done. Our number one, I would say, asset is word of mouth. Someone takes it to a dinner party or tell someone about this great brand they've discovered. And when you align with people's values, that this goes back to not using it as, as a, a utility to, to win over customers in a PR strategy, but being in a place where you can allow yourself to be acknowledged for the things that you do that are, are good. That is really where the power lies. And when it comes to going to the US, some strategic alignments will be important. I'm hoping our first retailer will be the most proud moment I had in fiasco history, which was getting on the shelves of Whole Foods. Um, I think John Mackey and what he built is pretty powerful. And uh, if we do that and continue to be able to amplify good in all communities, then it's real. We're in like Sick Kids yeah. Hospital. That's a fun oh, one. Wow. We do the hospitals here in Calgary. and. Uh, we get the, the most courageous letters from these people that are going through their darkest moments. And they're saying, I turned the corner and I saw raspberry lime and it's the best part of whatever. And I just like die. Wow. So it's, it's, uh, so, it's pretty cool. So that clearly is what gets you up every morning. Yeah. Um, that was going to be a question, but I think yeah. you answered it before I asked it. Whether, whether um, it's our fans or, or the, yeah. the folks I work with, like um, it, it is just a blast. We like... We make frozen treats, and it changes the world. Yeah. Wow. And it's it, often people think, you know, you, you have to be some nonprofit that's, <laughs> that's solving poverty or, you know, but it's... Yeah, not only for profit is what you should be. Yes. And um, so, yeah, I think it, it sends an interesting message, I think, to the world that it isn't just for those that are, that are solving the United Nations 19 issues or whatever that yeah. list is. So, just start. Um, people think so, they got to be big. So if that's what gets you up, what in the morning what yeah. keeps you awake at night <laughs> um well mandy my uh my my wife would share that uh i fall asleep pretty quickly um but um it's restless though. yeah well I, exhaustion is probably a better word but uh i would say the uh challenges that seem the greatest are making big bolder decisions like are we really ready to throw out the last 10 years of brand equity to rebuild so that we can go further and you're torn because it works. We're good. Nothing's wrong. People love us. I could probably not go to work for six months and we'd still be fine. Like, there's some luxuries there. 
but I also didn't sign up to make it easy or be acquired or whatever. And, and so those big ones are, are important. And then the other one that I think creeps up sometimes, and we do our best to, again, change the world a little bit, but there's folks that, that sometimes join our organization that either come from a, a way of thinking or haven't had great employment and they come with this stigma or this connotation about work. And I've really made it my life's work to, to change that. You know, we spend more than a third of our lives participating in a job or, or work or career. And it's unfortunate that people do that for years, if not their whole life, doing things they do not love or mm-hmm. with people they do not love. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we employ almost 70 people. There is not one of them that does not like the other. And it's not like, oh, oh you're nice. It's a mutual respect for the, the commitment and the work that's done. And looking after people being a steward of them in their, their hardest moments is is a really proud thing that we we're clear on. We are high performers, don't get me wrong. It's not like a, a place where you can come and do nothing and still hang out. Um, you've got to contribute and, and, and be a, a valued part of our team, but trying to crack the code as it constantly evolves. And I'm so excited when I hear things like, you know, the they're changing the legislation on different things. And, you know, it's good when government consults industry and gets it right. It's unfortunate when they don't and get it wrong, but it is what it is. But being able to be acknowledged and proud of the work that we do for our people because they matter first it's those people that do most of the work and if they aren't happy doing that then i'd rather not be doing what i'm doing fiasco gelato is proof that you can build a successful food and beverage company in alberta at the same time as doing good in the community This episode was produced by Joanne Horwood and Ben Goodman, and the music provided by Broke for Free. I'm Ray DePaul. Thanks for listening.